Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass and I'm inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. And we're going to welcome back to the studio today one of the victors behind the scenes of Election Day 2022, Sarah Ganon, Executive Director of the Working Families Party. So nice to have you back in the WNHA studio, Sarah. So good to be here and uh, really excited to get to be described as one of the victors. So it was, <laughs> it was a good day last Tuesday, so happy to talk about it. And we didn't expect that. Uh, we were supposed to be mo- you're supposed to be mopey today, right? Uh, Hangover. Yeah, I don't know if we're supposed to be mopey. Definitely tend to be tend to be optimistic. I think you have to okay. to work in politics. So but... you weren't one of the people like me who thought it was going to be a red wave. I was a little I was a little nervous, but uh, definitely definitely overjoyed. Feeling good this morning. And you, and you're barely with Connecticut, where people did expect a blue wave, except yes. you know it was pretty bigger margins than people thought it was going to be, especially the governor's race. Your candidates all won pretty much statewide, and Johanna Hayes had the race for Congress in the fifth district, which was a nasty washed race. Razor thin. Anytime George Logan runs, it's razor thin. Yes. He's a good, very effective candidate. But it pulled out, and you guys had more in the margin of victory. So you guys are definitely proclaiming victory. Yeah, no, we're, we're feeling good about that one. As you said, Representative Hayes, I think, won it by about 2,000 votes and, and got about 4,000 votes on the working families line and the, the cross endorsement. So mm-hmm. certainly played a, a big role in that one, along with a lot of labor and progressive partners. And obviously, she always runs a a strong campaign and is an amazing candidate too. So yeah, that one that one feels especially good. So just to remind everybody, you've been through a million times. Working Families Party is a third party in Connecticut, but except for one exception this year, it generally cross endorses Democrats who support a labor oriented, progressive oriented agenda that's high on things like raising the minimum wage in the past and now looking at things like fair work work, meaning you don't go home at ten from Starbucks and then find out you have to be back at six in the morning with no mm-hmm. notice and uh and um, raising, looking for raising taxes on the wealthy, yep, and um, expanding health care. So, what do you what do you read from this? You were the third party that got the most votes, sixteen thousand one forty one. The governor's race. You're going to be on this. You're going to be guaranteed, therefore, a ballot line for the next yeah. four years. And you felt bad for the independent party. They came two percent, point oh two percent. They had like ninety eight percent of one percent of the vote. You need one percent to keep your ballot line. But what does it mean that for four years in every race in Connecticut? There's automatically a working families line that you don't have to petition to get on the ballot. Yeah, so we're we're excited to to have kept the ballot line, and I think this year, honestly, in terms of the minor parties, was definitely a victory for for fusion voting. Uh, that's the ability, as you said, in Connecticut for for minor parties, and in, in New York and other states as well, to cross endorse candidates who are obviously working in a, a two party system. And I think, unlike some of the other minor parties, and the the independent is certainly one of them this year, and the the Greens and the Oz Griebel party as well. WFP uh, really tries to use sort of two criteria in selecting our candidates. Uh, the first, obviously, is folks, like you said, who are aligned, uh, labor-focused, worker-focused, people-focused, really want to make life better for working people and, and fighting against corporations and corporate interests. Uh, but the second thing we think about when endorsing candidates is actually people's viability, that we're, mm. we're uninterested in, in playing the spoiler, uh, certainly do not expect or, or experience that every candidate that we that we endorse really does win, but want to make sure that our candidates have a path to victory. And uh, if they don't have a path to victory, that they're not spoiling an opportunity for someone who's maybe more aligned well, with us as well. that means that's your decision not to run a third-party candidate yes, or exactly. no chance. But you yes. almost never do, right? Exactly, exactly. But and you I do think, sometimes. You've been one. Uh, yes, yes, for a strategic reason to get the, the ballot line here in New Haven, yes, in 2017. But... Generally speaking, and especially in a year that we knew was as important as this one with the sort of rising right wing authoritarianism in the Republican Party, even here in Connecticut, 
uh, really wanted to make sure that the folks that we were electing were sort of the closest aligned to us as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read an interesting analogy online the other day that I think really does play well that thinking about elections um, as public transportation, you're at your house, you need to get to a destination. There's two buses. You get on the bus that gets you closer to your destination, even if it's not the bus that maybe takes you exactly to where you're trying to go. And I think a lot of times that's the way we like to think about elections. That's for me, the 246 or the 243. Yeah, there you go. Precisely. We used to call them the B and the Q, but I'm still getting used to it. So Sarah, you, um, you did have one candidate who was your own candidate in Bridgeport, yes. state Senate candidate Julie Mar Ortiz. used to be a reporter at the New Haven Register here. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. Back before Sarah Leslie. What happened with her? And why did you back her over a Democrat? Uh, so she was uh, trying to run in the the Democratic primary, uh, was unable to to pull that off successfully, and we decided to sort of stick with her through the general election. And obviously in Bridgeport, uh, that is not a, a community or a place where we're particularly worried about Republicans uh, jumping in if we're if we're on the ballot there too. So pretty uh, potential. And low did you risk, not? Did you agree reward. more with her than with the uh, Republican, uh, the Democrat who was endorsed? Uh, sorry, say again? Did you agree more with her? Yes. Than, yeah. than yeah. How did she do? Uh, she was not successful, unfortunately, but but had a, a decent showing on the WFP line for the, sort of the amount of resources that she was able to to marshal for the campaign and I think has a, a bright future ahead of her as well. And I know there's a, a small but mighty crew of folks in Bridgeport who are interested in continuing to build WFP. So what this means for the average um, person in Connecticut, we talked about how you have an agenda. You've had mm-hmm. in the past, and it's been passed largely. Like yes. I think... Uh, you also did paid leave and sure. just the minimum wage. And we talked about fair work week, that kind of law where they have to give you some notice what hours you're going to be working and raising taxes on the wealthy and expanding health care. Yeah. So you're hoping that now, how did you do with the legislature? Did it stay status quo? Did you increase your, the democratic and working family support in the state legislature? Yeah. The numbers for the parties in terms of the major parties are about the same proportions, about the no same super number. majority, but majority. Yeah. In both, yeah. And, and strong majorities in both. Um, we're still waiting on a couple recounts as well to get the, the final numbers, but that'll be about the same um, we did increase, I think, the sort of number of progressives in the legislature. Both caucuses definitely feel a little more, uh, hopefully, working families aligns maybe than the last cycles were. Um, and we're actually really excited. Is it actually more of your endorsed candidates winning? Or no? I haven't done all that math yet. I think probably about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have about the same number of uh, state senators who are on the WFP line as and won as Republicans. So like to say uh, we're we're a third and the Republicans are a third and then obviously align with a lot of the, the Dems that were not on our ballot line as well. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely feeling good and excited about the, the wins in the legislature and a hundred percent of our endorsed uh, incumbents uh, up and down cross endorsed incumbents up and down the ballot from the governor to obviously representative Hayes the, and uh, William Tong, the rest of the constitutionals and the legislature won. So how many was that? Uh, I want to say, in the 40s to 50s, mm-hmm. um, yeah, should totally have that that number on the top of my okay. head, but it was it was pretty good. We were really happy with it, and it's champions like Matt Lesser, Julie Kushner in the state senate, William Tong, as I said, the governor, uh, Representative Hayes, a lot of a lot of good folks. And we're talking to Sarah Ganon, who is the executive director of the Working Families Party, a labor-oriented party that mostly cross endorses Democrats who embrace their agenda. They had a good election week nationally too. Wasn't there going to be some kind of national? Some kind of press conference the National Working Communist Party was going to have about how you did across the country? Or... Yeah, we had an event online uh, last Wednesday. No, no rest for the wicked over here at WFP. Uh, but definitely wanted to just make sure that sort of our take and, uh, and view on the election was was getting out there and uh, brought activists and members and press together Wednesday evening online to talk about the 
And the tape so the whole matters. State. I didn't. I didn't watch Lamont's press conference yet. Today, did you? Uh, no, I haven't gotten a chance to. So yet. He said I watched his press conference last week at the election, and he took a very different me- um, lesson from the one progressives took from the election. So Lamont, the turnout went down in cities, went mm-hmm. down in progressive areas, and he focused on suburbs where Bush-style, Biker-style Republicans just couldn't stomach the right-wing turn of the party. Greenwich, Westport, Madison. Mm-hmm. They went for Lamont. What he took from that in his press conference is that people want the center, and that includes no new taxes. And when he talks about new taxes, he's not talking about no new taxes on working families. He's talking about no new taxes exactly. on ultra millionaires. And for years, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party has wanted to raise marginal income mm-hmm. tax rates from, what is it, 5.9 to 6, or 6.9 to 7, over incomes over a million, right? Yeah. 6.99 yep. to 7.5, right? So I think Lamont was saying, you're not getting there for the next four years. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Is he, he wrong in his analysis? Is that's why they won? Because he got the middle, he got the moderate Republicans and independents who think that way to be for him on taxes? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time this cycle out in various communities all over the state, knocking doors, talking to to incredibly progressive voters, talking to sort of unaffiliated, maybe more independent voters, talking to some conservative voters as well, depending on the district. And definitely the the sense that I got from a lot of those people is that folks were voting this election um, for democratic policies and uh, for the sort of big changes that were coming out of Washington, right? People were excited by student loan forgiveness and some of the other, the big things that congressional Democrats did. Folks were excited about paid leave and minimum wage here in Connecticut, but folks were also voting against right-wing authoritarianism. Folks were voting against the idea of a national abortion ban. Folks were voting against Republicans saying they were going to slash social security, get rid of Medicare, two of the most popular Mm -hmm. things, frankly, we've ever done in this country. And I think it's a mistake to sort of take all of those election results and assume that that just means there's a, a mandate for no equitable taxation here in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not my take. That's not what I've experienced talking to voters on doors. Uh, so I understand is, how is, you can get there from what, the, yeah, the, the data. The way he but, gets it is by looking at those towns that went mm-hmm. over. You think he, you think those same towns in Greenwich, the hedge fund people would have voted for Lamont if their neighbor Lamont was saying, I'm open to raising tax rates on the wealthy. I think it's possible Greenwich and some of the the wealthiest communities are a special case. But looking at some of the, for example, the Hartford suburbs that flipped, some of the New Haven suburbs, I think that that that's drawing a line that's a little further than the one I would draw. What's this thing about messaging? Because no new taxes, he's really adopting a Republican talking Mm -hmm. point. Then anytime Democrats talk about raising taxes on one percent or less than one percent of the population it gets packages you're for tax hikes and lamont knew early on he was gonna hit by that so mm-hmm. you want to be for any tax hikes right and they make the argument that it trickles down i'm not sold on that argument but how do you combat that yeah it's definitely challenging and i think too folks are are forgetting as well that the the governor signed and advocated for a lot of things that are incredibly popular people really love paid leave people love the minimum wage increases that we've seen uh, people love the, the sort of expansion, the child tax credit, a lot of different things that happened um, sort of before and, and during the pandemic and his handling of the pandemic. Uh, I think people really responded positively to that. And now that we're sort of hopefully moving out of these lockdowns uh, into a, a world where COVID's a little safer, we have, the I think, the chance to, to take some big political risks again and, and really respond to that because 
What would those risks be? Uh, I mean, we still have one of the most uh, unequal states in the country in terms of where folks live, uh, racial and educational disparities, uh, sort of just the tax disparities that we've discussed. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities to to do some some exciting, cool things in this upcoming budget th- session. Are the three biggest things healthcare, uh, fair week, and taxes? Uh, yeah, I would say so. How do you want to expand he- expand healthcare? Uh, any way that we can, to be honest. Um, obviously, the governor has had some some public positions around things like uh, a public option. So there'll be discussions around that again, I would imagine, this legislative session. Uh, we're interested in making sure that everybody, regardless of where they're from, their documentation status is able to access health care in Connecticut, which is not true right now. Uh, and obviously, they've uh, done some really popular uh making insulin more affordable and things. I think there's a lot to continue doing on prescription drug prices Sarah as Gnock, well. executive director of the Worker Families Party, has a lot to feel good about in this campaign. And one campaign, this was a national story, was quality of candidates. I think people on both parties agree that Democrats, this doesn't always happen, Democrats had the good candidates. Yes. With yes. some exceptions. And Republicans had the weak candidates and that people who might otherwise vote Republicans just couldn't because of who the candidates were. How active were you? have talked about this in the past. How active were you in recruiting candidates? Yeah, so we did some candidate recruitment this year. I uh, got the opportunity to work with a few uh, folks that had already been running for office. For example, Martha Marks, who uh, had run before in New London, Old Saybrook area for state senate, finally made it over the finish line this year, which we're really excited about. Had She's, you recruited her in the past? We've worked with her before, yeah. But you weren't the ones who recruited No, no. But she's been somebody that's been really, really close to the party for a long time. Um, and we've been sort of excited to be continuing to support her and, and really thrilled she got over the finish line. She's a visiting nurse, which is, I think, state, especially after, state senate. Yeah. And especially after the last couple of couple of years that we've had in healthcare, that's somebody that I'm really, really thrilled is going to be and did you, voting like, on that. Did you work with her when there were other Democrats vying, too, and you were helping to get the candidate you wanted in the primary? Uh, like what did you do? How did you work with her? So we were sort of involved in the, the kitchen cabinet stages, having meetings, helping with some of the, the strategic components, all those kinds of things during the mm-hmm. during the time that she was running this year and uh, last couple cycles as well. And what about, um, was there anyone that what you recruited personally either this year or the years who got over the finish line this year? Uh, not this year that I can recall, but um, there was sort of, a, I think especially in sort of the situation where we have um, a lot of energy and excitement around Democrats and folks running for office. We've been really blessed and lucky in the state to have a lot of people who want to want to jump forward, put their names so out, want to run. I remember in the past you telling me about finding people and convincing them to run. Is that mm-hmm. not something you did in the past? Uh, no, that yes, that is something that we that is something that we've done. And are any of those people in office? Uh, yeah, there's a few of them. For instance, uh, so Josh Elliott, for example, was right, recruited by right, the, course, the Working course, Families Party. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Hall was somebody that's that's run and been recruited. Yeah, and then there's there's candidates around in um, various uh, one state reason people like too. me were panicking when we were doom scrolling in the New York Times app before the election was Steve Bannon got all these people in the country who were election denials and right wing MAGA types to run for election board, mm-hmm. like or to run mm-hmm. to take those jobs or run for election local election official jobs or just very local offices where they could tamper with democracy. It was good that they didn't win as much as they yes, thought. Yes. Are you sort of on the same wavelength as him on another, from the other political perspective that it's hard to get, like why was he successful and get all these people to run? Is it easy to get people to run for very local offices if they're progressive? Yeah. To convince a nurse like uh, Martha Marks to run? Uh, I think in our experience, 
folks are able to be convinced to run for office and want to run for office for things that they're already doing and working on them that matter. For example, I think it can be easier to talk to a parent on the Parent Teachers Association about running for school board because it's somebody that's already spending a lot of their time in their child's classroom going to PTA meetings, talking about things that that doesn't maybe feel like is as big of a leap and the Republicans to try feel to get that to that way people. too. Their attorney general, yeah. Kenny Cordes, told me, and she was a nice woman, but she comes from, you know, the other political perspective. Mm-hmm. She says she got involved in fighting the COVID lockdowns in her kid's school, felt yep. so strongly about it. That's why she ran for attorney general. Wow. I, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. But I, right. I think that's, I think that's the path a lot of people take. And I think especially because we are interested in, in running activists, we're interested in running folks that are maybe not the sort of what you think about as the traditional molds. Like quote, George unquote. Cabrera coming out of the food and commercial yes, workers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. People that are maybe not of the traditional molds of running for office might need a little bit more push to think that, oh, I don't have to be a like, three-degree lawyer to be able to be somebody that can, can sit in the legislature that my own life experience matters enough to be able to make those decisions. That's the kind of conversations we want to be having with people. Can you talk me through a little more specifically the steps of what you did this year? Sure. Like, what was Sarah up to? I know that you, so you, recruit, you had candidates recruit in the past. You really worked closely on their campaigns. You helped them figure out how to run. I don't have a sense of how many that was. You had an endorsement process mm-hmm. where candidates asked for your endorsement. You decide whether to endorse. Is that basically it? Or did you organize platoons of people the way you did when you ran campaigns in 2016 for Josh Elliott and Bernie Sanders, where you actually recruited people to volunteer and assign them what to do? Yeah, sure. So our endorsement process started with our, our public questionnaire, which comes out about March, April. Uh, anybody can see it and access it online and fill it out. Uh, and then that goes through our, our staff and um, board to take a look at, interview a lot of candidates. I think we probably interviewed upwards of 100 this year, I would say. And uh, sort of through the summer and early fall endorsed uh, over 90 candidates for Congress, U.S. Senates, the constitutional offices and state legislatures. And then from there, take a look at the candidates that are on our ballot line, figure out where are the places that we think our base will be most excited about for volunteers uh, how big is your base? So we have um, sort of thousands and thousands of folks that are that are involved in the organization in some way, from being on the email list, uh, donating, volunteering, sort of ways big and small. And um, and so then you narrowed it down from that ninety. Yeah, folks that we thought that uh, would be maybe most appealing that we would be able to make a difference in. And how many of those were those that are strategic, for example? So we spent a lot of time working on uh, candidates that were in the fifth congressional district. Uh, worked with Julie Kushner, uh, state senator in the Danbury area, and uh, newly elected Jan Hockadell out of AFT in Meriden, because obviously it's uh, really important for uh, for Representative Hayes to hold the fifth through so Danbury words, and Meriden. So in other words, you you pick. You picked uh, those races to sort of get out the base. Yes, yes. And, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and sort of focus I don't know on places. Hackadow is, yeah. Yeah, focus on places where we can be a little bit uh, more strategic and sort of if you can get out the vote and for how one many, person. How many did you pick? So we were we were helping or working with probably twenty candidates and had staff sort of deeply embedded embedded in maybe six or seven races. So pretty small compared to the the major parties. No, but that but, makes total sense. Yeah, also so you, want to make a big so difference. So you're trying to get a double punch out of it by yeah. going in the fifth district for yes, Hayes. Exactly. You think that helped make the difference? I hope so. I mean, right? I certainly don't want to claim that that all of those uh, several thousand people wouldn't have voted or would have voted for the opponent and not on our ballot but that's line. That's not the same issue. That's not the same yeah, issue. Can't if you say got, that. Do you think there's anyone you got out for a state legislative race who might not have gone out otherwise? And yeah, then absolutely. Voted Congress? absolutely. And how do you know that? 
because uh, we were talking to these voters, we were targeting voters and the the way that you sort of build the universes of who you're going to be talking to if you're looking at a congressional district versus uh, versus the, the likely turnout for a state legislative district might not be the same, too, right? That somebody that, that turns out and votes in a midterm year uh, will have to be convinced differently to do so, even if they're likely to vote for a Democrat. Maybe they don't want to show up. They don't understand well, their votes given. is important. It's less yeah. turnout. Yes. So you had, and you think there were people who wouldn't have gone, but then you got them excited about a state yeah. legislative race. Yeah, and worked, yeah, working with those, those state legislators. That's really candidates. interesting. Yeah. Because that's going to answer the question I was going to ask you later which, about how you could tell. And um, so you six or seven, were those all in the fifth district? No, it was all over the state, but definitely sort of. Two of the, but those yeah, two you mentioned Yeah, a couple of big of priorities six. over there for sure. That's so interesting. You've always been so strategic. That's one thing I've loved watching your rise, Sarah, because I first you. knew Thank about you in 2016 when you organized that awesome team from up here to go to New Hampshire for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. You came back and you changed Connecticut. You got Joshua elected, Elliott elected against a, a, a mainstream Democrat, and he became a leading progressive legislature. But you had the same people, I saw. Right, the same people went up in New Hampshire, decided to make a difference in local races, and you seem to get an education each year on how to actually do the nuts and bolts of campaigning, right? Which is really interesting. So when your staff people went, did you actually do voter ID list? Did you do the door knocking? Did you do phone banking? What'd you do? Yes, all of the above. Um, in the in the fifth, we had also as well a, a vote roe campaign going online. Uh, obviously, we mentioned the the other parties, uh, the independents and the Greens and the Oz uh, Griebel party were unable to get the, the votes that they needed for um, for keeping their ballot lines for the, the governor's uh, office and various others. We actually came pretty close in 2018 to losing our one percent on the governor's line. And that blue wave, a lot of people voted for for Governor Lamont as a but Democrat for that. So why did yeah. you have to run for mayor in New Haven in 2017? Oh, it was 2015. No, it's different in the the state legislative versus the 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 uh, even in odd years. Oh, in the other words, if you, that government thing doesn't get you a municipal line. It does not. No. So you no longer have a New Haven municipal line. Uh, no, we do. We do. Do you have to get one percent each time? Yes. Oh, yes. so you endorsed yeah. Tony Harp last time. Yeah. But so, that became problematic for you because when your candidate lost the primary for mayor in twenty. Um, 19, even though one could argue Tony Harper is more progressive than Josh, jo, uh, Justin Elliker, Elliker won the primary. So Tony Harper kept the line in the general and labor went with Elliker. Yes. But the labor yeah. related working families party stuck with Harp, but you didn't really throw the resources in. Yeah. And we have the, yeah, we have the ballot line still. And we always say, right, we're working as a, a minor party in a system created and designed by the major parties. So I know. some of these kind of confusing laws we're talking about definitely come into to play there. But yeah, so we're, we're excited to have kept the ballot line and, and going back to your question, we kept, put a lot of resources actually on the grounds, on digital media, calling, texting to not only get to, for folks to, to vote for our candidates, to vote for Senator Blumenthal, Rep Hayes, the governor and lieutenant governor, but to actually do so on Roe on the working families line, although we'll be moving up the ballot, thankfully, uh, this coming this coming cycle. But Roe to, is going to be what Roe C. Not sure if it's going to be Roe C or D yet. It's going to depend on if the independents kind of pull it out. They're like 003 percent away, so it's it's very possible. Oh, they it's, still can. It's yeah, it's possible that that. And why did they go before you? Because the I comes before W. No, because in 2018, they had more votes cross-endorsed for Bob Stefanowski than we did. But for... you had more this year, no matter what. Yes, but it it's based on the last cycle. 
Wait, why would so twenty twenty three is going to be based on twenty seventeen? Uh, no, so there it, it's possible um, because the uh, getting very into this the, is the really weeds here, Paul. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, but because the independents had uh, like one point nine for the treasurer, that that's relevant as oh, well. Oh, they factor in more the yeah. governor. Yeah. So it's the governor one that determines whether you're on the ballot. Yes. But order is determined by something we more complicated. We believe so, yes. That's yes. so interesting. It's very confusing. And also, it's very Secretary confusing. of State, they had someone who was their own candidate, yes. Jennings, who got yeah. over 2%. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting, Sarah yeah. Ganang. And we're talking to Sarah about the Working Families Party and a good year for progressive Democrats at yes, the polls in Connecticut. Yes, it was. Very good year. Here on, um, on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM. Not the conversation that... A little more than a week ago, we thought we were going to be having, at least I didn't. It sounds like Sarah's much more positive thinker, which posi- my wife kept pointing out, positive thinking is not less accurate than catastrophic thinking. It's true. It's true. It's usually somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Actually, I think positive thinking help makes it happen. So now, how do you measure? So I guess your question, because the question, I was talking to Pat O'Neill from the Republicans, and he said, I, I don't think it's true that the working families parties, you could say, could take credit for Hayes because... He knows Republicans who might have liked Republican candidates, but they were so pissed at the party becoming nutso wing mm-hmm. that they just weren't going to vote Republican. So if the independent party had endorsed Bob Stefanowski, Republican candidate, he might have benefited from that. Whereas he, his argument was all your voters were devoted for Hayes no matter what and Lamont no matter what. But you're telling me that you definitely found people on an off-year election in midterm who wouldn't have come out except you got them excited about the state legislative. Yeah, I don't think the interesting conversation is like what percentage of the 4,020 people that voted on our line would or wouldn't have voted uh, as like for Representative Hayes in the Democratic line, et cetera. Although I think it's interesting that they're having this conversation and, and we also receive more votes on the WFP line for for Representative Hayes than the independents did for George Logan. Right, like we right. did better there as well. Or you did better than that. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm fine just saying that. Um, But I I think that the interesting piece of the conversation is what we've been talking about, of the the work to actually get the voters out, the work to identify voters who align with our values. But that is part of the answer to the question. Yes, exactly, exactly. And even if they wouldn't have voted. So there's really two answers. One is, even if they they wouldn't have come out if you actually hadn't pulled them in general or also for uh, legislative candidates. Yes, yes. And the second part of the conversation I had with O'Neill was like, well, whether or not that's true, Winning on the working, getting votes in work family party line, does that then send a message to those incumbents if they want to keep that line in the future that that's showing support for progressive policies? That was always my thinking yes. whenever I yes. vote third parties was the message that's sent. And he said he's open to that. He said, you know, it's possible. He says, and it's possible maybe they've already succeeded because in his view, the Democrats have moved to the left. And he pointed out he didn't know of any primaries this year where a working families party candidate was against uh, another Democrat. Is he right about that? Uh, yes. Generally speaking, this was a, a year I think where folks were really geared up, eager for the general election. We saw, um, frankly, a lot more retirements in the Connecticut State Senate than I was anticipating. So it became quickly pretty obvious that that focusing our energies uh, to to keep Connecticut not just blue but deep blue was the the way to go and how to be spending mm-hmm. resources and how candidates were were sort of aligning themselves as well. So he said that just might and he didn't know the answer. He yeah. said that might be sure. evidence perhaps that working families party has been successful, but that this time around it's already kind of done the work if there were no primaries. But you're saying there's a different reason there was no primaries, which is that with senators retiring, the focus early on was yes. keeping it blue. Yeah, just like um you know you vote. For, 
because you endorsed Lamont, who wasn't for your positions, but he did sign most legislation that got passed with your positions. So the idea overall getting the Democrats in with a good majority is going to get more of your legislation. Yes, passed. absolutely. Yeah. I don't know that I would go so far as to say wasn't with our positions. I think somebody that that advocated and signed paid family and medical leave and minimum wage are two did he, did biggest he, priorities. Did he advocate minimum wage and paid family leave in the way it was passed or did he negotiate that from a more conservative position? That's fair. That's and fair. did he not take off the table Josh Elliott's main issue, which was minimum wage? I mean, which was um, taxing the wealthy at a higher rate. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll be able to come back next year. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing that's, that's interesting, too, in this, this cycle, Paul, that I've observed is uh, just the going back to the independent party for a second and, and fusion voting and, and voters and parties generally. I think people really want ideological consistency they want to to vote their values which is kind of the slogan that we've used at, at working families party for a mm-hmm. long time and people were confused by seeing a ballot line um in middletown for example the independent party uh, endorsed both bob stefanowski and matt lesser for state senate who if folks don't know is an incredibly progressive awesome state senator been a, a wfp ally for a long time uh, and holds as far as well, i can tell was, basically that, nothing in common with bob stefanowski i would argue that has less to do with fusion versus running your own candidates versus cross endorsing with the independent parties had these two factions. Yes, yes. And in the past they were a very conservative party, very consistently conservative, but this time they ran their own candidates like Cynthia Jennings, who was all the way on the left. Yeah. Some people who were pretty on the right, moderate, right. What used to be the right, right. And, you know, and the whole thing I thought was pretty straight down the center. You know, so I think maybe they were kind of confused to what they yes. were. Yeah. I and I think, think you it could backfired. look at, I don't think you could look at them and say all the candidates were interesting, but you can look at them and say that party stands for X. Exactly, exactly. And I think voters, I think voters see through that. And I think that's some of what's happening to the sort of the modern Republican Party as well, right? We're in, we're anticipating a announcement tonight coming out of Florida. Um, won't won't say more. Don't need he, to talk about he that. He will not but be named. Yes, uh, precisely. But I think that I think voters are starting to sort of see through an institution that, in one hand, is is having some of these election deniers running who thankfully have lost all over the country and on the other hand are some folks that are just sort of saying oh i'm moderate on taxes i'm pro-abortion it's like that that confuses people folks want to know where they stand i think they do know where they stand with with working families party they do um i think one way people turn this argument around on the other side in a way that you and i don't think would agree with the framing Mm -hmm. which is they each party has factions and they'll equate an aoc and a bernie sanders with Matt Gates and these people who are just basically criminals sure, and sure. liars and, you know, blow up the Constitution, which is something you and I would not equate as, as you know, yeah. just dreams. a faction. But yeah. we would probably agree that parties are coalitions. Yes. And you need Spanberger in Virginia. You need Manchin in, in West Virginia to get reelected or you're not going to get Supreme Court justices, right? So what? where does that, does that leave? Is that another argument for a working families party that works in fusion so that the mansions yes. have less influence and when it comes to primary time? What about the critique of the Democratic Party, which is similar to the Republican, that some people in the center say, you've lost me because you have too many left-leaning candidates? Yeah. And just like they say you lost me in the Republican Party for getting kind of wacko MAGA. Yeah, I think as the years have gone on and we've gotten sort of more hyperpolarized, especially since 2015, 2016, there's a lot less people in that sort of presumed middle, right? That the the folks that are thinking, just giving abortion as an example, right? That the the sort of two positions, there's not really a middle ground. You can have some negotiation have of Senator how many Casey, weeks though. and things. You're not going to give up a Pennsylvania Senate seat with Senator Casey, right? Exactly, exactly. And you have the woman from West Haven in the legislature. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? Just do you need to have 
room in the party and you want to work in family's party to kind of keep pushing it in one direction. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much of the position that I think the, the, the Democrats can sort of sort some of that out for themselves. I think with the WFP, we've got a, a pretty clear lane of who we're working with and endorsing. And there's certainly situations in which uh, we're lining up behind and endorsing and working with folks that are maybe uh, not a hundred percent where where we are ideologically, but also a lot closer to us than a lot of other people. And I think maybe and that's a, a role we're going to continue playing. Maybe this is what you already said. What I'm hearing in this is it's another argument for fusion. Absolutely. Third party, which is that the two major party system designed by major parties, including yes. that incredible rule that if you lose register a voter, you still win on a major party. That one I can't get past. That's like that's collusion. But but um, you're saying that part those two parties have to be big tents. So then the role of a fusion party is to try to move the tent in one direction and have ideological system let voters vote a set of values they believe in without losing the general election. Yeah, I think while we have a two-party, first-past-the-post system, that that's the, the role that we need to play, absolutely. What if we had ranked choice voting? Uh, really interested to see how ranked choice voting might interact with fusion voting. I think there's a, a lot of ways that can sort of talk about expanding elections. Obviously, the early voting referendum that just passed really excited about that as well that's here good in Connecticut. for what, your, yes. your agenda yeah where do you stand in ranked choice voting because that's uh, kind of tricky yeah no we're we're interested to see what proposals are, are coming out of the legislature i know that's, that's a politician that, answer Sarah. it is where it do is you stand on it it is uh again as a, a minor party in one of the four states with fusion voting really want to make sure that that the ways that we already have a system that expands democracy are considered in that i know folks have talked about study bills and things which uh, we'd be interested to see how that goes. One of four states of fusion voting. I was not yeah. aware of this. Yes. It's, so it's only in these four states where someone can go on other ballots? Uh, so only places where people can be cross-endorsed, yes. Wow. So New yep. York's another one, right? Yes. New York, uh, Oregon, and South Carolina. Now, how did that happen? Don't ask me why those are the four, which I knew you were going to. I, I don't know the history, to be honest. Um, but obviously here in Connecticut, it's been something that's helped well, us be successful. Why in other places? What's the argument? I don't know. I don't know. Sort of not looking a gift horse in the mouth, and and we've got it, so not asking too many questions. Is, but I know there's uh, places that are looking to expand it as well. We've had some some WFP allies who've testified at public hearings in other states. Want to say New Jersey, although maybe shouldn't be quoted on that on the radio. Um, but there have been there's been opportunities to expand it in in some other states that. Uh, we've been supportive of over the years. That would be, I think, it's been really great here. So something that should be nationwide, in my opinion. Sarah Ganong, Executive Director of the Worker Families Party here on Dateline New Haven, WNHH, 103.5M, live stream, org. So Sarah, I always ask you this every time you come on, because you've been working your way up. It's been so fun to watch you from like grassroots organizer, getting into the mainstream, having all this influence, sticking with the same set of progressive values. What's something you learned that you didn't know in 2016 in this year's election or in the last two elections? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, I should have an answer oh, for no, this, No, that's Paul. okay. It's okay. When you get thrown questions like that, yes. you have to be thoughtful. You know. But what about something that's changed since 2016? What's different about the job you do trying to target races, trying to get out the vote? I was surprised at how much you talked about texting and phone calls because i thought people are sick of that i thought you needed on the doors but i guess it's too big a group it's a yeah it's, no it's a it's a total mix and i think especially as we've moved through a lot of people working from home in the last years some people going back into offices some not obviously some people having really flexible schedules some people having schedules that they have to be flexible which again why we're working on on fair work week uh people even <laughs> younger than me i know most of my friends don't answer strange phone calls but they'll so. respond to a text people living in apartments so yeah really 
trying to to combine lots of different pieces. How old are you, sir? Uh, I'm 31. All right. So you're... And uh, so anything um, else you think that's different from running a campaign? We originally did it like what you usually did. You found progressive people who had energy, I think, kind of yes. young yeah. and willing to just go to New Hampshire or go throw down for Josh Elliott and hit the doors. Is that still basically the same idea? Uh, I would say not the age piece so much. I think it's people that was a group of folks that were, it was a friend group and all able to arrange their lives But there to was be able something to do that. about Bernie. He was the old guy, but it was yeah. people much he, younger than me. He definitely attracted a lot of young folks, Who for sure. believed that thing, older people like me just thought, you're called socialist, you can't win anything. Mm -hmm. And we were just so wrong. And I remember talking to people much younger than I am who just hadn't been jaded by their own experience. Yeah. yeah. And saw a possibility. What's next? Uh, so headed into legislative session, obviously, is one of the, the big things, January 4th. So spending the rest of uh, rapidly ending November and December getting ready for that and coming back right after the new year with the exciting new legislative priorities, the budget session and ready to go. And then um, but first is Georgia. Working Families Party is pretty yes. active in the Senate runoff with John Fetterman and Herschel Walker. So what are you guys doing for that? We talked a little bit before we went in the air. I think you said... Is anyone going down to Georgia? Yeah, so uh, obviously we're going to be supporting Reverend Warnock down there again. Oh, we're not yes, Fetterman yes, Warnock. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so. There's a lot of lot of great candidates around the country. Um, Warnock's a great candidate. Yes, I can't. Georgia's always in play. I think because he's such a good yeah. candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll um, following the lead of obviously folks in the ground down there. If they're putting out a call for for bodies and people, we'll probably send some some staff and volunteers down potentially. Work? When someone from Connecticut knocks on a Georgia door, does that help? So I personally haven't gone and again wait wanna follow the wanna follow the lead of the organizers down there and there's also a lot of things that can be done uh to, to support in person that might not be uh, necessarily oh. knocking doors too. Well, Maybe someone somebody else needs... goes out from the neighbor. Somebody yes. else is getting the coffee yes. or, or crunching yeah. the numbers Precisely. or printing out the yep. list of yeah. organizing voters. materials, uh, doing logistics. If somebody has a, a, a what we call a driving turf and the doors are too far apart, they need a driver. There's lots of roles that people can play uh, that can be that supportive. Must be fun to go down there for something like that. Yeah, I've never I've never done uh, that specific trip. And I but here does yes. similar things. Yeah. What for... about in? You said you might have people in Hartford making phone calls. Yes. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, folks doing the, the texting and the phone calls. And again, this is all following the lead of our, our colleagues and friends down there. And if we had a, a race like that here in Connecticut, they would follow our lead as well. So I want to make sure we're, we're listening to the people sort of closest to the races. But yeah, if we're, if we're called on to, to do those things, I know a lot of our volunteers want to. Folks are already sending resources and money and time. So want to be helping to, to organize our people to do that too. Because I think folks see the difference between uh, 50 folks and 51 votes in the Senate. So we're hoping to, hoping to get there. So Sarah, you, um, your executive director, your paid staff, or yes. do you have a, ta do you have a state chair or are you both? Uh, so we, yes, we have a, a board with actually three co-chairs as well. I'm trying to figure out if you're the new power broker. Yeah. I wouldn't, like go that, wouldn't, wouldn't go that far, Paul, but definitely a, a lot of great folks in our, our coalition and, and really proud to be one of the voices of Working Families Party for sure. All right. I'm proud to have you on Dateline New Haven. I love when you make time. You were from New Haven. Now you're in Hartford. You came down. I really appreciate you made the drive. Of course. Not no, happy to drive. do it. Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Sarah Ganon, good work. I'm going to be fun. I hope you come back in another year or two and tell you the next thing you're up yeah. to. Anytime. Thanks. And Harry Dros, thanks for working the controls, putting us on so many platforms. We now qualify for the multiverse. And we're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free from their CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night. The WNHH New Haven's home 
for Community Radio. 